Thanks for being with us on this Sunday morning. Well, if you paid attention to the NATO summit, which wrapped up just a few days ago, uh, you likely heard a few things from the president of the United States uh, that might have made you shake your head a little bit. Uh, Certainly plenty of reaction to Donald Trump's performance during the NATO summit. And joining us now to talk a bit more about how things unfolded is Jeffrey Myers. He's a Thompson Rivers University law professor. Professor, thanks so much for being with us. Oh, thanks for having me on. Uh, what, what is your response uh, to how things unfolded at the summit? Well, I mean, I think the summit uh, was largely a follow-on from what we saw at the G7 uh, meeting in Charlevoix, Quebec, about a month ago, which itself, of course, was a follow-on from what we've seen both in NATO summits and in uh, G7 summits and other meetings of, uh, of the United States with its uh, allies and uh, partners. Uh, and what we see is uh, a willingness to sort of cross um, boundaries which haven't been crossed, and to break rules and norms. I should say, shouldn't say rules. Should say soft norms around the relationship between the Western allies. And when I say that, what I mean is, in organizations, let's speak not of G7 for the moment, but of course of NATO. When you look at the um, North American Treaty Organization, which was founded um, after World War II as a, basically um, a counterpoint to the Warsaw Pact. Uh, which was the Soviet and Central and Eastern Bloc countries, uh, it was a collective security agreement, right? So that the idea of the collective security agreement was an attack on one is an attack on all, right? And the key articles are contained in the in the treaty itself. And those and that has meant, in effect, for obvious reasons, that the question of security and military cooperation has been entirely separated from the question of trade and economic ties. Now, it it happens that in other um, bilateral institutions like the G7, which include some of the countries in NATO, but not all of them, um, there's economic cooperation is important as well. And there's all these bilateral institutions which exist on the economic or trading side. But the idea of the NATO pact is that it's a mutual um, self-defense alliance, it's a military alliance, security alliance. What Mr. Trump has done, which, again, as I say, no president has done in, uh, since the existence of NATO, and America has always been the indispensable party in NATO, is to bring the question of security, the question of military, um, the military alliance, in this case r- around the question of uh, percentage of military spending, which has always been an issue, which is nothing new, into the question of trade. And also, but more importantly, just generally speaking, this was Mr. Trump's first visit to the United Kingdom, I believe, as president, and although it was an official state visit, because it was too controversial to denominate it as such because of Mr. Trump's sort of unpopularity in England, he did meet with the Queen, he did meet with uh, Theresa May, and in both cases he made major um, blunt, what are really effectively blunders, or perhaps he did them on purpose, it's unclear, but he was like a bull in a china shop in the usual sense in terms of how he comported himself uh, in his dealings with Theresa May, particularly giving an interview to The Sun, which is a tabloid newspaper in London, um, in which he sort of disparaged Mrs. May's leadership and her handling of the Brexit negotiations and endorsed Boris Johnson, who uh, you may is, is in effect a, a kind of Donald Trump light, um, almost the Doug Ford of the UK, we'll call him. Um, and he's the main leadership rival for Ms. May, who wants what's called the hard Brexit, and uh, who was a big uh, proponent of, of Brexit. And, of course, the, the, the negotiations are proving very complicated. They're placing the United Kingdom in a vulnerable place. The United Kingdom is more vulnerable internationally and in, the, in its economic uh, sense than it ever has been at any point since it rebuilt after the Second World War with uh, America's help. It could really use an ally right now. In fact, Mr. Trump is, is willing to sort of use the, the UK's weakness against it in terms of tying 
America's trade relationship in with Brexit, which, of course, is something he supported, which is, again, unusual for an American president to be involved in domestic matters of a foreign country. But there's an ideological link between him and far-right figures in the U.K. like Nigel Farage. And, of course, it's not a surprise that he likes Boris Johnson, and he took this sort of attack uh, very uh, against diplomatic protocol in so many ways, so rare, this kind of thing, against America's supposed closest friend and ally. So it's disjunctive going into the Helsinki uh, meeting uh, in Finland on Monday, or the Helsinki summit, I should say, between Mr. Putin and Mr. Trump, which will be another unusual affair, although Helsinki is a storied place uh, for summits. You remember in 1985, uh, Brezhnev, Brezhnev and Gerald Ford met there and came up with the Helsinki Accords, which largely um, governed the end of the Cold War period. But it, uh, here these two are going to meet um, without anybody except interpreters. There are nobody taking notes. And under the circumstances uh, of the Mueller investigation, the recent indictments uh, handed down against 12 Russian security officials, it's, it's really unprecedented. Not only is it unprecedented, but it's a bit distressing. And you have some Democratic uh, uh, leaders in Washington calling for at least to, if the meeting's not to be called off for witnesses in the room, to record what's being said rather than having to rely on the word of Mr. Trump and Mr. Putin alone, who you know, are not trustworthy for many, many people. Mm-hmm. Uh, what, do you, what is your reaction when we hear from some of the other leaders that were involved in the NATO summit? And there seemed to be this idea going in, not knowing exactly what President Trump's uh, agenda was going to be. And then this idea coming out that uh, he was unpredictable, uh, but the leaders saying that they feel a little bit more confident in that he may have not have known what he was doing either. Well, I think it's becoming more and more apparent. I mean, remember, you know, for during the it's funny, you think back on the 2016 campaign, which reached its height sort of two years ago, everybody said, you know, if this guy actually becomes president, if he ever did, he's not going to become president. But if he ever did, he would start behaving in a normal fashion. He's never sort of everybody's always sort of said, oh, he's going to even out, he's going to be fine. Even other world leaders have sort of taken him like that. And he always dials back. And I suppose in this case, there's a bit of a narrative around he that he issued this quasi apology, non apology to Ms. May for his. Um, you know, for his sort of uh, his sort of unconventional uh, remarks to the Sun paper, but I, I don't think I mean. So people, whenever he doesn't blow things up completely, in the end he comes around. Right at the end of the NATO summit, he doesn't pull out of NATO. He endorses the thing and says, "Hey, look, I, the communique that is, look, I've I've succeeded where Barack Obama didn't in, in getting everybody up to two uh, percent of uh, gross domestic product for military spending, which is what all American presidents have wanted, and which, by the way, everybody agreed to in 2014, as Mr. Macron said after. Uh, we, we said in 2014 we'll get to 2% by 2025, and we will. This is nothing new. And then Mr. Trump, of course, so they were kind of, people said, well, you know, he, at least he didn't leave NATO. He signed on to the communique. But then Mr. Trump says at the end of it, oh, uh, now we're going to go for 4% now. <laughs> and then the European leaders, of course, say, oh, that's not true. Obviously, the relationship with uh, Ms. Merkel has just been abysmal. Um, and it's, it's obvious to anybody watching it. His aides were uh, visibly um, disturbed by his conduct. It was clear on camera that, you know, Mr. Kelly is chief of staff and Kay Bailey Hutchinson, who's the NATO ambassador, thought, you know, you could see, read their faces. Again, very unusual to be able to read the faces of senior diplomats and people like this. They tend to have good poker faces, all revealing of a very serious and unusual situation. And uh, you mentioned as well uh, in Helsinki, uh, we certainly haven't seen the end of what will likely be uh, an unusual situation. <laughs> yeah, so it's uh, it's going to be. And, but I think there's a real lot of there's a lot of nervousness and I think it's merited around this meeting and this summit. I mean, Mr. Putin has played a masterful hand. It's just very obvious in an objective sense, um, you know, that the, that the, that, that Russia's strategic objectives 
have been to expand its presence and influence in the Middle East, which it's done in Syria, and to get its annexation of Crimea recognized, along with getting rid of sanctions against it and things like the Magnitsky Act, which punished powerful Russian oligarchs and their dealings in the West. And it's, but, but to do that, it's needed to divide the United, the, the European Union, NATO, all these key Western institutions, which make it difficult for, um, for Russia to sort of dominate in Europe. And it, the, 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 he's realizing on those goals because of Mr. Trump. It, it just seems that there, and, and the, the evidence is all coming together in such a kind of focused, uh, an overwhelming way of, uh, you know, you get all the intelligence services. Now you have indictments from the Mueller investigation saying, look, the Russians intervened, inter- interfered in the Russian election. And what we don't know is to what extent Americans cooperated, but we do know that Russian security services have been, you know, very much involved in meddling with the 2016 election. And revelations keep coming. And in fact, Mr. Trump knew of these new revelations. Uh, he was briefed ahead of time by Rod Rosenstein, uh, the uh, associate, uh, the, uh, the deputy attorney general who's handling the the investigation, and he still went ahead with the Putin meeting. He's not canceled it now. And again, he threatened, although he didn't, he apparently threatened to, uh, you know, I shouldn't say he threatened directly. I think this was a, a product of leaks, but it, it said that he, he had contemplated pulling out of NATO entirely. So you think about under these particular circumstances, this meeting, again, no third parties in the room other than the translators, no one to write down or record uh, for history or posterity what happens in this meeting. Um, you know, it, it's not it's not going to be a written agreement. It, it's not going to be clear what happened in this meeting. And that is, you know, it, again, we don't always know as a public what happens when a president meets with a foreign leader. And sometimes they do meet alone. But under circumstances like this, you would think there would be at least other officials of the government in the room to write the history books and to, or the archives. Right? Yeah. And it's it's that's not happening here. No. Um, it... So, yeah. All right. Uh, Jeffrey Myers, we'll have to leave it there. We're right out of time. But thank you so much. Appreciate you coming on the show today. Oh, well, really appreciate you having me on. Thanks very much, and thanks to your listeners. All right, thank you. That is uh, Jeffrey Myers. He is uh, Thompson Rivers University law professor. And I think uh, most would agree it would be nice to have an official in that room, uh, if for no other reason than uh, writing the history books.